Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 97. My host, ID3, for Isaac Drone the Third. Tonight's panelist is the lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here tonight. You know, Nina, tonight I believe is going to be a night where we are igniting the fire. And with that being said, the topic for tonight is let's support HBCUs again. Let's support HBCUs again. I want to start with this alma mater from Morehouse. Dear old Morehouse, dear old Morehouse, we have pledged our lives to thee and will ever, yeah, forever give ourselves in loyalty. True forever, true forever. To old Morehouse may we be, so to bind each son, the other, into ties more brotherly. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make us steadfast, honest, true. To old Morehouse and her ideas and in all things that we do. As I Decided that creed, it gave me chills because of the impact of Morehouse College and the other HBCUs. That impact is positive. You know, the positive economic impact of historically black colleges and universities extends beyond the students they educate. They are equally crucial to the regions and communities that HBCUs have served for more than 100 years. People of the likes of W.E.B. Du Bois. Who is he? Well, glad you asked. He was an American social socialist. He was a sociologist. He was a historian civil rights activist, pan-Africanist, who's an author, writer, and editor. People from the likes like Booker T. Washington. Who was he? Well, glad you asked. He was an American educator, author, orator, and advisor to several United States presidents between 1890 and 1915, Washington was the dominant leader in the African-American community and the contemporary black elites. These two gentlemen were just some of the many who helped set forth the benefits of HBCUs to produce in detail dollars and cents as it relates to terms of money and economic prominence. In total, the nation's HBCUs generate about $14.8 billion in economic impact annually. 
that is equivalent to a ranking in the top 200 on the Fortune 500 list of America's largest corporations. Tonight, we want to ignite the fire, especially in the alumni of our HBCUs. And we want to leave you with this. Let's support HBCUs again. You know, I'm, I'm so glad the lovely Miss Dean Taylor, this is her vision, this is her idea, uh, this is her heart. She's an HBC graduate. Mina, please tell us a little bit about why uh, this, this movement means so much, so much to you, please. Well, just like I said, um, the last time we spoke about HBCUs, I feel like I'm like a lot of kids, I was like a lot of kids out there who had a dream but had no direction. One thing that an HBCU will definitely give you is direction. They will definitely uh, put you on the path that you say that you want to travel. You know, um, we didn't know anything about, and I'm speaking for myself and a lot of the students who came in the same time I did, this was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Um, we didn't know, you know, anything about the whole college scene. I had always been a good student, you know, I graduated with honors and all that, you know, like a lot of others, but going to school is like, as soon as you say go to college, we were thinking, well, how much is this going to cost? And, you know, we can't afford to, to go to school. You know, we, we, don't, we don't know what to do. I mean, we had no direction. Now, I will say that the counselor in high school who ended up being my boss at a radio station many years ago, my high school counselor was very instrumental in helping me to get, you know, applications and, and just talking to me about the different options that I had as far as trying to actually go to college. And were it not for him, you know, I had no idea. I didn't know what financial aid was. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that my grades were good enough to get me a scholarship. I didn't know the fact that I played three instruments and, you know, all this could possibly get me a scholarship. I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff until somebody told me. Like I said, we, we all have a vision, but we had no direction. So hopefully a lot of, especially the high school age uh, seniors will have some direction. Somebody who will say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay, we have resources. We have people that we can call to help you get on the path of which you say that you want to go. So I did have that, but you know, with me moving to a new state, um, in the 11th grade, it was like, you know, how do you just start opening up and talking to people about what you want to do with your life? You know, it was difficult. And just luckily, that person was somebody who said, hey, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do after school? I was thinking about going into the Air Force. You know, I had no idea that I could actually do it. I thought I had to save up for about 40 years before I'd even be able to enroll in college. You know, I had no idea. Just like I said, if you don't know, you know, it's good to have somebody, some resources, somebody in the community, someone hopefully at your school that can help them to get started. You know, say, listen, there's going to be an application. This is what we got to do. Or I know people at that school. Let me give somebody a call. That always helps.
Again, this is a call to action, especially for our alumni of HBCUs, of historically black colleges and universities. We just want to extend a welcome to you to join in with us in this celebration as well, but also in this movement. Um, loving this nickname, Taylor. Always, I can listen to you speak all day long, you know that. Uh, but I heard most <laughs> from what you said was, again, mentorship. I, I remember on the last podcast we were talking about this. You were talking about Morehouse and mentorship came up again. But again, I'm hearing this pool of mentorship coming from you. And, and what is, for those that listen, what is the pool of mentorship? Well, for me, when you talk about uh, terms like the pool of mentorship, it, to me it means like the more people in your support group, the further you can go, the more possible it is for you to reach your goals and why is that because mentorship uh, provides information mentorship provides you with knowledge mentors can see where you need to improve and, and that's what HBCUs uh, are are doing and have done uh, historically right and not only do they do that but they also encourage you so that encouragement also helps keep you going keeps you moving despite any obstacles, any barriers. And so that's what I heard from you uh, when you were uh, giving us, you know, why you are starting this movement. Uh, with that being said, studies show that minority students attending HBCUs have increased levels of engagement. More interactions with faculty and greater involvement with faculty research projects. These institutions generate 134,090 jobs for their local and regional economies, equivalent to the number of jobs provided by Oracle, one of the nation's largest private employers. Mina, my question for you, how does HBCUs make their students more sought after in the workforce? That's my question. From what I heard, and this is from people who have hired students from Morehouse, from, you know, from Spelman, is they're more disciplined. They're very, very disciplined as far as, um, and they say that about anyone who has graduated, you know, gone to school for four years and you graduate, they say you're persistent. You're, you know, <laughs> that's one thing that, they'll, that tells them that you're persistent is that you didn't give up, you spent four years, pursuing that degree and you didn't stop until you got it. But they said they're disciplined and um, that, I think that's one of the main things that I've heard. Um, I've had a few places that were taking interns uh, from HBCUs. I was an intern from an HBCU. And he said, yeah, oh yeah, we always work with this school uh, because they always are very talented. They don't send us anybody who can't do the job. They don't send us anybody who's not ready, you know, to step in. And like I said, right after the internship, they offered me a full-time job. So I ended up not even going back to school right away, you know. So uh, I think it's the discipline. Uh, a lot of them, they come back from the inner cities. Uh, some of them came from very, very small towns. Uh, the schools taught them uh, a pride that you won't get anywhere else. They taught them about, you know, who they are. And they look at that as their self-esteem. It's just, it's high. It's high. And I think that's what one thing that they admire about students from HBCUs. 
Again, that was a loaded question, but the way you broke that down made it so, so simple for anyone to understand, especially those transitioning to college from high school. You, you talked about structure. You talked about credibility. You talked about discipline. You talked about persistence. And what I, what my takeaway from what you said was, you know, with that structure comes credibility. With that credibility comes recommendations. And those recommendations help you tackle the next chapter in your book or your life or your journey, right? And then that discipline gives you that persistence, which then will lead you to growth. And so these HBCUs, from what I'm hearing you saying, they're, they're, they sound exciting. I mean, mm -hmm. to listen to you talk about HBCUs, I'm very excited. And, and hopefully, you know, those alumni that have graduated from your, your Spelmans, your Morehouses, and, and all the other list of colleges, HBCU colleges, I think they're like 99 now, all right? Or is it 99 or 100? But from, from like Paul Quinn, there, there's so many powerful, robust institutions as it relates to HBCUs out there. Hopefully, uh, you guys are listening. Hopefully, you guys are sharing. Hopefully, we can come together Right, as, as comrades and, and help support the Unitator's movement, right? Uh, just great response, uh, beloved Miss Nina Taylor. Let me let me ask you another let me ask you another a question. It's another loaded question as well. Mm -hmm. uh, because overall nearly half and when I say half I'm talking about forty nine point eight percent of Asian Americans. Nearly a third which is 30% of non-Hispanic whites and 17.3% of non-Hispanic blacks and just over a tenth, which is about 11.4% of Hispanics or Latinos have had a four-year degree in college. Now, <clears throat> with that being said, why aren't more African-Americans going to college? Why, what is, what is, what are your thoughts? And I mean, I want you to be transparent. Why aren't we as African-Americans going to college? What is it? What's the big miss? I think the main thing is a lot aren't going because their parents didn't, because their grandparents didn't. They don't have that, that zeal for education that a lot of families do. If you notice that a lot of the students that are in college today, their parents are also college graduates. Uh, oh yeah, my dad went to went to Morehouse. Oh yeah, my mom was filming. You know, a lot of them are, at least today. You know, right after the civil rights uh, movement, and I, I'm not saying it's over, but after the big one, you know, from the 60s and the 70s, there was this huge influx of people enrolling into college. Why? Because now they can get in. Now you can't stop us from getting in. So there was a huge influx of people getting into college. My dad was one of those people, you know, that was in college back in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, I knew, I always knew that I wanted to go to college, but I had no idea, you know, how this was going to happen. You know, that's why I said, Dad, are you going to pay for these? Like, oh man, I'm already paid for your sister. Nah, 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 nah. You know, so it, was, it was just insanity. It's like, how, how is this going to happen? But I think that's the reason why, if your family never talked about education, then you don't know much about it. I think that's one of the main reasons why. And a lot of kids are, you know, they're so frustrated when they're in high school, they just, 
they, I said, you don't have any problems. You don't even have a car payment. How, how are you so unhappy and frustrated when you don't have any responsibilities? And they're dropping out of school left and right. Now, a lot do go back, but they're dropping out because they feel like, oh, I'm just wasting my time. Don't have anybody saying, you know, this is the way. You need to graduate from high school. You need to go on and do something after. And this way, you're going to have a better life. They don't have anybody doing that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, let me ask you this, because typically when, when we start talking about different ethnicities, we socially stratify them in different class structures, mm-hmm. right? Okay, mm-hmm. so it's, it, it, there, there's a classification. And, and we really want to keep that going because if we don't, if we're, if we're living in a classless society, then we become communists. So I, I get that. We're in a capitalist society and we have to have different classes, right? And, and we have to have these different classes within our families, within our neighborhoods, within our schools. But mm-hmm. the economically disadvantaged classification is most in part branded on African-Americans and minorities and not only is it branded on us and, and, and when I talk about that I'm, I'm, talk, I'm referring to things like uh, free or, or reduced price school lunches right mm-hmm. and I mean yeah. to, to just bring it home for, for those that you know don't want to like actually deal with that right mm-hmm. and so the HBCUs are a bridge for me over troubled waters. Mm-hmm. And, and the troubled waters I'm referring to are not only uh, economic, but they're also ecological. What I mean by ecological is because of education, you can be placed in a totally different living environment because you're educated. You can have a totally different upbringing for your children and your children's children because of education. And so these are the roles that HBCUs play in the education system in the United States. And, and is that influence, is that influence and, and that prestige and that honor and that brand that's linked to transformation, mm-hmm. that's linked to positive youth development, it's linked to all of those educational aspirations and, and like you put it, it helps you discover who you are. I want you to tell us how HBUs or, your, or, or the cause you went to that was HBU helped you discover in your life's journey during that time you were in school, helps you discover who you were. That's my question. Hmm. Well, just like when we spoke about this a week ago, we were talking about how a lot of us were inner city kids, came from the projects of Chicago, Philly, Detroit. Uh, we had no idea who we were. We knew that we wanted better. We knew that somewhere along the way, someone told us that education was the key. The more education, you know, somebody actually told me, the more education you have, the more power you have. It makes you more powerful. And you're right, I've got three degrees, and each time I got one, I felt like, wow, I did. I absolutely felt more and more powerful each time. You know, (laughs) 
like I've got something more I'm adding to my my arsenal you know um, but that is the main thing uh, during the, the first year there it's kind of like reprogramming you <laughs> you know what have you been through well guess what none of that's going on here this is what's happening here we're preparing you for the future you are the future and most of us like I said we never had anyone talking to us like that you know, what do you mean I'm the future? What? You know, <laughs> it, was, it was overwhelming. But then, like I said, that sense of pride that you start to build over the months and over the years there, um, you know, you know that you're something special now. I'm something special. And I'm going to be great. You know, I'm going to just take over the world. We all have that take over the world attitude. So. <laughs> You know, Nina, let me let, let me let me go more in depth because we, we did discuss a little bit about that, you know, last week and you did share a lot of information. But I I wanna really go in, I wanna kinda I wanna pull from you uh in in a different way. And I wanna go kinda be more in depth. So let me go, let me take a little bit further. So when I'm talking about HBCUs, I'm talking about your experiences with those HBCUs. And I I want you to talk about how they help you with uh, maintaining uh, good health, right? Uh, maintaining uh, social support systems, personal growth, helps you with time management, even behavior management, even spirituality, you know, because they, they have all of those, those facets. Uh, and, and we're talking about layers of development here, where you start with, uh, the, you know, the inner, the inner you, and then it kind of goes out to the next layer of development where you bring in your family, then you bring in your friends, your school environment. But the, the HBCUs, they, they first start with who you are and discovering yourself like you, like you did. You did. You discussed it last week. But then from there, they, they, they help you branch off in a healthy way, in a social way, uh, for personal growth, for time management. And this is what makes them, well, this is what makes those, those students so sought after, I believe, in the workforce. So explain to, explain to us, you know, the, the day in the life on the campus of an HBCU where, you know, they're doing things like helping you stay. I know you talked about the band last time, but let's steer away from music a little bit and let's talk about like, you know, students that's not in the band field, students that's not in fine arts. You know, how did they, how did they grab those students and cultivate them as it relates to personal growth, as it relates to, what did I say, social support and, and time management and behavior management and spirituality. How do they groom those young ladies and those young men in those respects? That's, is that a fair question to ask? It is. Um, just thinking back, and I'm sure there's a lot more. I do spend time at my HBCU as well as a couple of others. And the one thing, there is a group slash organization slash club slash uh, just just a click for anything and everything that you could ever imagine. If you're interested in, uh, say, karate, self-defense, there's a club for that. There's, there's so many different organizations on any college campus, really. But these organizations, uh, they meet regularly and... It helps to build character because I belong to this for this reason. I'm I'm doing this for that reason. I'm in the I was in the Columbus Club and the Philadelphia Club. Um, 
so that was helping us, you know, socially with interacting with people from areas where we grew up. You know, some people were in multiple cities clubs. Or I'm in the Detroit club because uh, my dad lives in Detroit, but I'm from Chicago, so I'm in that club too. So, and we actually met once a week, regardless of if we had anything going on, if we were talking about anything at all. But I think that's, that's one of the main things that helped, um, you know, you learned about people from different areas, how they grew up. You're just interacting. Everybody's from someplace else and everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a background and you're, you're interacting with them each and every day and you're learning everything and you're learning how to make your own decisions. You know, and this is what they said. During your freshman year is when you're going to develop all those good habits and hopefully you'll keep them. You know, if you're very good at studying, you're going to develop, you know, into being an even better person who studies during your freshman year. So this is when you say, okay, these are all the things I want to do and I got to make time for all of them and still keep up with studying and still keep my grades up and still have fun. That's how you learn time management and that's anybody with anything, but you're going to learn it there. Living on a college campus is different from getting on the bus every day from your mom's house and going to school. Living on a college campus, you're solely responsible for yourself, for your well-being and your things. We also had church. There was a church on campus. Uh, Payne Seminary was the church that was located on campus. We had a health club. We had anything you can imagine, anything that you need to survive. Uh, we had a clinic, everything. I mean, everything that you could even imagine was right there on campus, right there at your fingertips. Whatever you needed, there was a club, an organization, something that would put you in touch with whatever it was. You need psychological uh, counseling. It was there. If you just wanted to be in a club where you just wanted to sit around and talk to other females your age, you could do that. You could do that in the dorms, too. If you were interested in cooking, you could do that. Just, no matter what it was, there's an organization or something, college is full of different groups and organizations that can help you to grow. You know, as you were speaking, I heard the one word that came to mind was loyalty. Loyalty was the one word that came to mind as you were speaking. Mm -hmm. And the topic tonight is let's support HBCUs again. And it takes loyalty to do that. It takes loyalty to do that. It takes, it takes caring. When you were discussing about the HBCUs and your experiences, I heard a sense of caring. I heard a sense of connections. And all of these are necessary to build character and to build competence. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know who cares. And especially as a student, as a student, we don't want to know how much you know. We can care less. We can care less how many books you've read, how many equations you solve, how many formulas you have created. Mm -hmm. A student wants to know that you care. I want, to, I want you to take us down memory lane because we're, we're out of time, but I, I want you to take us down memory lane and, and share with us an experience that you had that 
you knew this instructor, it could have been someone working in the cafeteria, it doesn't matter. Could have been a custodian, it doesn't matter. But you knew that this person cared about Nina Taylor and her warfare. Could you, could you pull a story out of your mini story <laughs> and tell them? Uh, well, like I had told you many times, I was 17 years old when I got there. And in that case, you know, you are legally a minor. And I don't know how it is in other states, but here in Ohio, that means a lot that you're a minor. Uh, I had to actually send paperwork home for my mom to sign so I could travel with the band. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, but they had uh, mentors who were older, you know, that kind of looked out for you, kind of hung with you. You, you know, you go eat with them and you just kind of hang out and anything that you had any kind of questions or concerns about anything, they pretty much knew because uh, I know my mentor, mentor was a senior, so she had been there. Matter of fact, that was her fifth year uh, there, so she had been there for a while. And she was very, very instrumental in, you know, helping with anything and everything that I needed, you know. And like I said, I was in the band, I know you don't want to talk about music, but, you know, it's not just being a part of a band, it's being a part of a family. And each organization that you're in, because I did pledge to, is, is another branch to your family. And I think that's one of the main things is that if you're in a, a club that's represented by your city, then that's part of your family. That's like your cousins, you know? And then you know, you're in another organization that has to do with self-defense. That's another part of your, your, your family. So you're constantly building relationships and they're all based on different things. You know, everything and everybody is different and every organization or club or group that you belong to is something totally different. So you're just feeding off all this stuff and all these different people and it's helping you to grow. Listen, you heard it first. This was another impact tonight, Impact Education Lisa. Topic tonight was let's support historically black colleges and universities. Again. Can I say one more thing? Um, you know if you, you are a graduate of an HBCU, you know, you know your school is struggling. It may have been struggling when you were there the first time. You know, you know your school is struggling. You know, find out how you can help. Find out how what you can do as an individual. You'd be surprised. Um, I get calls all the time. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this. Yeah, and I, I'm a financial supporter of my school. Uh, why? Because I don't want to see them get in trouble. I want to do what I can to, to help them stay. You know, you'd be surprised. It doesn't have to be hundreds or thousands of dollars. You know, anything you can do to help them, I'm sure they're appreciative. Nina, can you give the listeners your, your contact info, how they can get in contact with you as well, please? Absolutely. Uh, my... <clears throat> My email is, well, you can go to my website. My website has my email and even my phone number on it. It's msninataylor.com. That is my website. You can go there. You can email me there. You can call me if you need to. And, and you know, let's chat. Let's dialogue. Let's help our school. Beautiful. Well, you know the impact tonight? Impact Education Leadership. Guest, lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Good night.